God's word, God's people, and God's truth are under assault and attack. Take refuge in the Lord. We need everyone to dig deeper, to lay the foundation so that we can stand tall for the Lord. Everybody, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Aubrey Morris, and I'm the children's director at our Taze Valley campus. While things may slow down and be relaxing for some of you during the summer, for children's and student ministers, things actually speed up quite a bit. We have VBS, church camps, and other events that we try to engage our kids in and stay connected with them throughout the summer months. So let's say an extra prayer for Stephanie Mosley at our Marmette campus. Hillary and Caleb Wills at our Beckley campus, Philip Mullins and Cassie Gregg at our St. Albans campus, Luke Martin and myself at our Taze Valley campus, and all of our volunteers that put in so many extra hours to help us disciple our Gateway kids. And speaking of that, we'd like to share a special thought with you before we get into today's sermon. Do you want to protect your kids from all the information and messages they're receiving about sex? Well, then it's time to start talking. There is a sponge inside of each of our child's minds, and we could label this sponge curiosity about sexual things. We want to encourage you, Gateway parents, to fill your child's sponge little by little, drip by drip, as they go through the different phases of childhood. What happens when you pour water on a full sponge? It just dribbles off. Not much is absorbed. But if you notice on the dry sponge, it was absorbed quickly. Let's face reality. If our kids are not discipled and poured into by us, they're going to be poured into and discipled by someone who isn't us. Will that be a friend, a teenage babysitter, a TV show, or a social media account? We want their sponge to be full of the truth that we have already poured into them as their parents. So let's start talking. Let's fill our children's sponges with our voices and our biblical values so that they can have confidence in who God created them to be, male and female, each with unique qualities, and build up foundations of their faith so they'll be ready for whatever comes their way. This is ultimately the best way to protect our kids. You know, and Aubrey's right, isn't she? That we uh, are faced and living in times and days that uh, are just different, even from when I grew up. Um, I'm 46, be 47, and graduated in 1994. You'll understand why that applies here shortly. But we are living in times, as we are going through our fifth foundation uh, sermon, uh, that our kids are getting a lot of information. Some of it's misinformation. Some of it's not even good information at all. And they're having to decide. And so the topic that we're going to be talking about today, found in our scriptures, is what we've decided to do is that we were doing a sermon on the foundation series in the mornings and then in the evenings we were encouraging you all to come back on Sunday nights to go a little bit deeper. And, and we understand life is crazy, it's chaotic right now. I, we just went through prom at my house this weekend, next weekend's graduation for 
my oldest, Sam, he'll graduate from Shady High on Friday. And, and what we realized is the material that we went in depth on Sunday nights, we really wanted the whole church to kind of get. Um, and, and just for whatever reason, you, you couldn't make it back. So what we've done is kind of changed our foundation Sundays that what we were doing on Sunday nights, and that's why you saw Cassie bring up the little ones, and we're going to have a little teaching moment as well, whether it's from Aubrey or, or Philip in the future. And then, you know, we're going to give more in the in-depth type of teaching that we are dealing with to, um, this morning. So just so you know, instead of Sunday nights, we've kind of flipped those to Sunday mornings when it comes to this. And I truly believe, like when we read the Old Testament, that we are living in days just like Nehemiah when he went back to Jerusalem and was heartbroken when he saw that the city foundation and walls were torn down. It, it distraught him so much that he inspired the city leaders to inspire individual families to all do their part to rebuild their wall that was right in front of their home. You know, and remarkably, they did it in 52 days, the scriptures talk about. And I believe that what we are going to be discussing today, and I'm so glad the kids are with us, and I'm so glad the graduates are with us, is something that is being bombarded in our culture when it comes to probably one of the most, uh, whether it's controversial or most talked about postmodern uh, topics that there is. We're going to be talking about gender dysphoria and transgenderism. Now, again, most of us would think probably 10 years ago we wouldn't even have this discussion in church, but where else would you want to have it? Because it needs to take place in church because guess what? Our scriptures teach us clearly that God has made us. In fact, look at Genesis 1.27. The very beginning of the Bible, the, the Word of God says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, that last part is under attack and assault in our culture. So help us get started by understanding this biblical truth. I want you to hear a word from one of the great Christian philosophers of our time. Go ahead. Each one of these paper clips has its own job to do. Here's here are a couple other different kinds. And yet they're all called paper clips. Here. And here's another one. This is a small one that's strong. Each one is, is fancy mm -hmm. in its own way, just the way each person is fancy in his or her own way. Some are fancy on the outside. Some are fancy on the inside. Yes, sir, everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. If you were born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. If you were born a girl, you stay a girl and grow up to be a lady. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Only girls can be the mommies. 
Only boys can be the daddies, yes sir. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. I think you're a special person. And I like your ins and outsides. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. You all can thank me later for that jingle that'll be in your head, but can you imagine that that video was shown in the days when I was growing up? I remember that. And maybe it hopefully could make its way back into our school systems, but unfortunately, that's just not where we're at today. You know, the overwhelming presence of smartphones and subsequent influence of social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, trust me, there's more coming, all right? And the kids have them long before you're even aware that they're even out there. It, it's hard for parents, and let alone grandparents, to stay ahead of the onslaught of information being poured into the bedrooms and to the hearts and minds of our kids. They're being encouraged to experiment, to change their pronouns, and to grow increasingly dissatisfied in how God uniquely made them to be. And unfortunately, this attack is not just on social media. Some of our students are engaged in this battle, as well as teachers, principals, and other folks that love the Lord and, and are finding this in our um, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, and even universities. Now, I know where most of you stand on these issues. You stand where I stand and believe in the Word of God. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped in every good work. And just as we saw from Genesis 1.27, God made us male and female. We return, he, he determined that. And we don't get there or, or say in who we are. And let alone that God has made us in his image. And he takes great pleasure in how he's made us. You're one of his prized creations made in his image. But today there are a lot of people who say that when God made them, he made a mistake. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people in organized and I believe in a demonic way are pushing this agenda with so many people buying into it, hook, line, and sinker. But before we respond aggressively, for the sake of being fully compassionate people, because that's who we're trying to be, and that's who we must be, compassionate people who love God, love people, all people. And let me tell you something. The word that you're hearing today is accommodation. We need to be more accommodating for folks. Listen, you can be compassionate and not accommodate. All right? It's possible to do both. How many of you all have seen the Chosen series? That's a great series. What strikes me most about that series when you're looking in the life of Jesus is how he makes direct, personal face contact with sinners who are really struggling with some big issues. It's amazing, the compassion and how he sees people for people. In church, we can be right on the issues and stand on God, and we can be wrong in how we treat people. We need to be able to admit that. And what if we're, going, if we're ever going to see God make a change in this world, there's a way to stand on his principles, 
stand on the truth of God, and be fully loving and fully compassionate, just like Jesus we see in Chosen, those folks need to see Jesus in us if we're going to make a difference. Imagine if you were in the life of a teenager today. You maybe have been born a boy, but you never liked to play in boy things and boy toys. You preferred to play dress-up with dolls and typically associated with girls. Or imagine you were a girl and you like, didn't like to do girl things. In fact, people would call you a tomboy. And you always enjoyed the rough activities and you associated with boys. Or imagine you're a parent or a grandparent of that teenager and that teenager's your teenager. It's your child, the one you brought into the world, the one that you named. And he or she came to you and shared to you what they were going through. They don't feel right in their own body. They want to change their gender and change their name. How would you handle it? It would be very difficult, wouldn't it? Or maybe some of you are going through this right now and you just need some help. In fact, a lot of young people who are going through this called gender dysphoria are at a higher risk for suicide than other teens. So you want to make sure you're handling this right. And let's imagine this. You're not a teenager, but you're an elementary age son comes home from school and tells you that there's a tampon dispenser in his bathroom at his school. Or he was given an opportunity to change his gender. Or maybe your daughter plays on a team sport like softball or basketball or volleyball or swimming, and you notice that the other, on the other team is a kid who is clearly not a girl, and he is dominating the game. How do you handle this without coming across as a hateful person? You need help. Well, all of this isn't anything that I learned in Bible college or seminary, but it's what's going on in our world today. And we need some biblical help and guidance. Because let's face it, whether we like it or not, this issue is not going away in 2023. And we need to get ourselves educated on the topic. So before I go any further, let me define some terms. Number one is sex. That term has been around for a long time, and it means male or female. Like in Genesis chapter 1, typically the references to chromosomes, internally reproductive anatomy or external genitalia. When a person is born, he is either born, he is born a male or a female, and we know the sex of the person. In fact, you know, these gender reveal parties, you know, that everybody here pops a balloon or something, and it's blue and pink, and, you know, I, I love all the old-timers that come up to me and say, well, I don't think it's right that they know what the baby is before it was born. Back in my day, we didn't know what we were having, and I always look at them and said, well, Mary knew what she was having, so where do you want to go with that? You know, but, um, <laughs> but, it, but my point is, is this is that even if this goes on in our culture, we're not even going to have those gender reveal parties anymore. Think about it. Now, the second term we need to identify is gender identity. And this term used to be synonymous with the term sex, but now it's changed. This term now refers to a person's biological sex anymore, but a person's self-perceived of who they are. So a person may have been born a biological male, but he feels like a girl or vice versa. And this feeling is based on stereotypes, not biology. And as you can see, this is a foundation of transgender movement to divorce gender from the sex. Our culture is trying to create separation, and many are hoping what they would find a gender-fluid society or a genderless society in which people can change gender from one day to the next. And that's what's meant by this phrase, that the third term that we're going to define is non-binary. 
When a person claims to be non-binary, they are claiming they are not exclusive to one or to the other all the time. They are claiming that they can be one or the other at any time they choose. Today they're male, yesterday they were female. And this leads us to our fourth uh, term that we need to understand, gender dysphoria. And this refers to confusion or feelings a person has concerning their biological sex, that they were born with, and the gender they feel like they are. People who struggle with gender dysphoria feel like there's a painful war going on uh, between their mind and their body. And this is where our compassion as believers must kick in and must come from Jesus. Because guess what? We are people who understand dysphoria. Maybe not gender dysphoria, but life dysphoria. Think about it. The very, the very definition of the word dysphoria comes straight from the Google Dictionary as a state of unease or general dissatisfaction with life. I know before I followed Jesus, I was making some poor decisions in my life, and I know that there was a conflict within me because as I was growing up as a teenager, I grew up in a youth group at Greenwood Christian Church. And so the very things that I was participating in was causing a problem for me, especially when it came on Sundays when I went to church. There was dysphoria going on in my life. Do you see, church, that we all can relate to some kind of dysphoria and maybe even into where we're sitting today. You may have some uneasiness about God because there's sin in your life. And this is where the church really needs to step up. We need to follow Jesus and say, we can stand for the principles of God, but I can relate to you as a person because I know what it's like to struggle in dysphoria. I know what it's like to have sin in my life. In fact, in our James study that we've been going through just uh, uh, last week or the week before, in James 4, 4, it says, don't you realize that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. So as, as serious Christians who don't battle with the fleshly desires, we do. You know, when I ever meet a Christian who says, man, I don't struggle with sin anymore, I just run away from them. Because seriously, because who are you? You're not Jesus himself. I know in my flesh, even as a, a preacher of the gospel, as a minister of the gospel for 26 years, there are still things I struggle with. I need to be surrounded by people who are like me and say, hey, you dysphoria addict. <laughs> because we all have issues that we struggle with. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the letter in Romans. He says this, I see and my members, talking about his body, arguing and with the law, waging war. Look at that word, waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my many members. Now, Paul is, wrote 60% of the New Testament, and he's still saying he's struggling with sin. But be encouraged what he told Timothy, his young apprentice. He says, but you, O man of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness and godliness godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called to and which you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's a good fight. It's an everyday struggle. We can identify with those who struggle with dysphoria. Not, maybe not gender dysphoria, but life dysphoria, inner life dysphoria. We should be compassionate to those who struggle here. Jesus told us that we are to be in the world, but not of it. 
And this causes problems. If you're not having any clashes with the world today, we might need to sit down and talk about your faith in Jesus. I'm serious. Because we should all be struggling. And we all need to be relying on the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to help us to make us into more like Jesus so that we can have more and more compassion with those who are struggling with whatever dysphoria that they have. And our final thing uh, term to define this, this morning is transgender. And this is the term used to identify a person who believes his or her gender identity does not match their biological sex. A transgender woman is a biological man. A transgender man is a biological woman. Transgenderism, then, is the movement in our culture that has grown exponentially in the recent years. More and more people, more and more young people, are identifying as transgender or trans. According to the statistics, this movement is taking place in a greater rate in teenage girls than it is in boys. But the ones that make the news are like Lila uh, Thomas, who was born a male, male by sex, but identifies as a female. He was a very mediocre swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania on the swim team, and then identified as a woman and became a champion swimmer on the women's team. And you've heard of Caitlyn Jenner, right? Who was also a biological male, Bruce Jenner, who was a famous Olympic athlete in the decathlon. And there are many other famous trans people in all parts of society, including our government. And in many of them, and most of them, when they look to Christians who, told, who are told and are holding on to a historical interpretation of the Bible, when it comes to the topic of human sexuality, they're looking to us for a response. And they want us to say, it's okay. It's okay that you think God made a mistake when he made you. But we just can't say that. So what's our response? Give me 10 minutes, and let me give you three responses. Here's what they say. They say, if you don't accept us, you don't care about us. We say, we do have compassion for you in your struggle with sin. I've already said this several times, but I want to make sure you hear it again. Listen, if we get accused most of all as Christians as a church, we're hateful when it comes to these kind of issues, and we don't have compassion. And I'm telling you, if you're in that category, you are doing more harm than good. You are doing more harm than good. It's best not to say anything if you can't have the compassion of Jesus and be able to look at people as people and say, I'm here to help you. And that's the other part of the problem with the church. We, we come up with these sermons and these messages, but are we really sincere in trying to help people with their struggles? And so when people come after Gateway and say, well, yeah, I hear you believe in that stuff, but what are you doing to help? Well, we have a recovery home for people who have drug addiction dysphoria. We will provide counseling and help them walk alongside you and your family and whoever else if you have this gender dysphoria. We're not the kind of church that just says, hey, here's what God says. We love you. Have a great day. Let us know how we can help you. No, we will walk beside you. That's what compassionate people do. And here's the facts. Friends, we can't rewrite God's word. But we can rewrite how we share it. We want to speak the truth in love. We want to be there for your struggle. 
One writer even claims that 70% of those who are struggling with gender dysphoria, if they will just be given enough time, 18 months to three years, and have people walk beside them and be there for them, will come through their gender dysphoria and find out who they are. But so many times we want to tell them, well, this is what's right and this is what's wrong, and if you don't buy it, then see ya. Man, I'm so glad Jesus didn't do that with me. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't do that with me and that he doesn't do that with me because I mess up a bunch. And I always find out he's not there just to rewrite it to make me feel better or to say words that I want to hear. Jesus is always strong in his words. He tells us exactly what we need to hear, not what we want to hear, but he's also there ready and able to pick us up. So why isn't the church doing the same thing? You know, one of our most quoted verses in all the Bibles, John 3, 16 and 17, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. There's no exceptions to that. It doesn't say, well, that's only for everybody who doesn't have a drug problem. It's not, it doesn't say that's for everybody who's not struggling with their gender. It says, for everyone who would believe, all of us have some form of dysphoria. If you don't believe me, I'll give you my wife's number. All of us need to repent. All of us need to rely on the grace that was offered to us at the cross of Calvary. Here's the second thing they say. We are not comfortable in our bodies. Here's what we say. God created your body and you for your body. Someone may say that she or she isn't comfortable in the body that God had given them, but he had a special hand designing, listen to this, the 37 trillion cells that live in your body. 37 trillion. It's greater than our national debt this week. <laughs> but I'm saying that's how uniquely designed human bodies are. God designed it, and he made them male and female. And what we're trying to say is we believe that God made us either male or female in his image. There's two chromosomes that you receive, not by birth at conception. So don't lie that you either say that you have XX, which is female, or XY, which is a male set. There are some rare cases where the genetic code was mutated, something called an intersex, but those are rare, and sometimes they're never discovered. We can't just disregard the body God gave us. In fact, God through Christianity has a high view of our bodies. Listen to Psalm 139. David says, For you formed me in my inner parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I, pray, I, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 63, 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Listen to the New Testament. Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal for you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do you see where Paul identifies where the dysphoria is? It's not in the body. It's not in the soul. It's in the mind. And that's the root where all the dysphoria and all the sin comes from. 
It's a battle of renewing our minds to be more like what God tells us through the life of Jesus. I'm sure it wasn't comfortable for Jesus to be in, in his own skin. The Bible's high view of the body is highlighted in the fact that God came into the world into a human body. He took on human flesh, lived among us, and endured the same kind of wear and tear in his body that you and I do. And Paul writes, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, being formed, being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross in Philippians 2, 6 and 8. I know you all have stuck with me, but I got one more thing that this movement says. This movement says, they say this, we want to be happy with who we are. What we say, be happy in who God says you are. That's where you'll find your happiness. When the swimmer was asked why he wanted to transition to a woman, he said, because I was wanted to be happy. Well, guess what? Because God loves you so much, he wants you to be happy too. But this definition of happy may not be your definition of happy. Your definition of happy might be a way of thinking, listen to your mind, change your identity, change your body, be happy. No, God's definition of happy is more like this. Embrace what God gave you, give it back to God, and let him renew your mind and your identity, and you will find peace. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. Now, I know service went long. We recognized 27,000 people who graduated. No, I'm serious, guys. Congratulations. My son's going through that, and, and, I'm, and I'm so glad you're here, and I'm glad your families are here, and I think this is an important message. But I don't want you leaving here and saying, yeah, I've got something to say to all my friends that are giving me the, down the business about being a Christian and trying to stand on God's principles when it comes to my identity. If you heard that and take that out of here, then you've just hurt the message. The message is the truth of God, and you've got to go out into this world and love all people and be able to relate to them and show compassion and here's the thing, that's what they want more than anything else. They don't want your accommodations. They want compassion. Somebody who understands a struggle and understands what they're going through, who will listen to them. And by listening doesn't mean you agree with them. There's a whole lot that God listens for me, and I guarantee he doesn't agree with me. <laughs> but I'll wrap it up with this. Sam had prom on Friday, and there was all the prom pics with all the boyfriends and girlfriends and all those pictures flooding Facebook down towards our neck of the woods. And uh, somebody said, well, who'd Sam go with? And I said, well, he had a picture of his F-250, and one of his customers that he mows for offered him his Corvette. So Sam didn't take a girl, but he had a picture with his F-250 and that Corvette. Those were his ladies for the night. I said, hey, man, you probably spent less money on those than you would if you went the other way. But here's what he came, and the next morning he came in. I mean, he was real good to text me. He said, hey, I'm coming home. I just want you to know it takes about 15 minutes. I'm a little nervous driving this Corvette. And I was like, that's good to hear. And then I didn't talk to him next morning. I said, how was prom? He said, man, it was great. He said, I got out there, got to hang out with my friends. And 
He said, but it got kind of crazy as it went later, as it always does. And he said, people were making out with each other. Now, just listen to this. He said, my buddies were making out with their girlfriends, their girlfriends were making out with their girlfriends, and my buddies were making out with their boyfriends. That changed since 1994. <laughs> and I looked at him, and he said, he said this. He said, Dad, he said, I know what I believe, and it's not because you believe it and you're a preacher. He said, I know what I believe. And he said, those are my friends. And, and he said, it, it saddened me, but at the same time, he said, I'm not going to stop being their friends. I said, good, good, because that's what they need you to be, Sam. They need you to be their friend, be compassionate, but you don't have to buy into what they're doing. That's what they're looking for. It's somebody who's not going to judge them, who's not going to send them to hell. Listen to you, friends, and listen to me clearly. You're not sending anybody to hell. God will take care of that. What are, what are we to do? Take people to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. Be Jesus-like to them. Let them see that there is a different way to live. Let them see there are people who struggle with other things that we have dysphoria ourselves. It may not be engendered dysphoria, but we struggle with our very same things, and we're here to help you. Come alongside us. Come along with other Christians. Help us all struggle together and help us keep our eyes on Jesus. Let us be filled with grace and compassion and love for one another. Let's no longer preach and send people to hell. Let's bring them to Jesus so that we spend eternity with them. I may be crazy, but that's what we need. And it starts with you and me. This sermon wasn't for anyone else other than it was for me. I've struggled with this sermon. Someone came up to me after the first service and said, man, you did a great job. I said, it wasn't about me doing a great job. It beat me down. Because if my social media post right, is my heart right, and the way I'm treating folks that are struggling with this issue right, Pray with me. Not one of us here, Lord, are perfect. Not one. Myself included. And Lord, this issue is flooding the culture when it comes to social issues right now. There's not a bigger one out there. I mean... Just being honest, Lord, you know what all is going on. Beer companies are worried about this. Major stores are dealing with this. Families are struggling with this. There may be somebody right now praying with me who is very much struggling with this issue. And God, I want them to know Jesus. I want them to see how big that cross is. I want them to see that the guy that tried to present the word of God to them this morning as a sinner saved by grace. Paul identifies himself as the chief sinner. So Lord, I don't have all the answers, but I know you had the answer for me in Christ. I know who I am because of him. I'm a child of God. I'm a friend. Jesus was a friend of sinners and he was a friend to me. God, I want so badly my other sinners to come meet Jesus.
Come see how good he is. Experience his grace. Experience forgiveness. Experience the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Experience a new way to walk, a new way to talk, a new way to live. I want them to taste and see how good you are. Because God, if you can save me, you can save us all. Bless the decision time and those who have decisions to make. We pray in Jesus' holy name and all God's people say.